Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on CPG is an MTT animal, beloved Twitch streamer, enthusiastic teacher, newsman for the award-winning poker podcast, The Chip Race, and sponsored Unibet Pro, Ian Simpson. Ian's poker career began about 10 years ago in a whirlwind of success that put him at a career crossroads. And it was unlike most career crossroads in the world of poker because Ian absolutely loved his career as a teacher. As a matter of fact, that's something he and I are going to dive into in a few moments. It's extremely likely one day Ian will leave all of his friends and fans heartbroken in the world of poker to triumphantly return to his first love, being a trusted guide for the next generation of humans. And if you can't tell how I feel about Ian, my read is he's a genuinely amazing dude with an incredibly, incredibly kind heart. In today's conversation with Ian Simpson, you're going to learn how Ian stays motivated and hungry in his poker career, the one thing Ian values most in the world, here's a hint, it's not poker or teaching, the origin story behind Ian's rocket-like explosion onto the poker scene in 2012, and much, much more. Before you dive into this conversation with Ian Simpson, I wanted to let you know I'm currently running a free Nuffle promotion. If you've never had a Bovada account and live in the United States, simply visit freenuffle.com to get step-by-step instructions on how you can get Nuffle for free. Don't worry, it's easy mode and involves clicking a link, making an account, and making a deposit. And yes, before you ask, I do get an affiliate reward if you sign up. That's why I'm bribing you with a free $199 course. One more time, that link is freenuffle.com. And now, without any further ado, I bring to you the incredible Ian Simpson. Mr. Simpson, welcome to the Chasing Poker Greatness Podcast, sir. How you doing? Hello there. Yeah, I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing quite well. I'm doing quite well. I, I feel like we should have recorded our earlier banter uh, before we were, you know, when we were warming up, getting to know one another, talk. all the cat talk, you know, all just the cat talk, yeah. me complaining about the one cat that I love that drives me batshit crazy all the time. It's like, she's like the problem child of the four, but <laughs> I, I guess you I just mean, have to have one, one problem child. I, I guess. I mean, usually things that drive you crazy, it's always, a, there's always a lot of love in there. It wouldn't drive you crazy if you didn't love them. So <laughs> that's true. If it really drove me crazy, I would just like drop her outside. Like, good luck. Yeah. It's a big there's world the, out there. The oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, let's talk about you, man. Let's talk about your story, where you came from. What is the story of you entering the world of cards look like? Well, um, I was a teacher 10 years ago, I think. <laughs> 10 years. It might be 10 years now. Um, How old are you? accidentally, 
I am 35, I think. <laughs> 1986, yeah, 35. So many, so many aspects of your, your, your past life are like ended in question mark. Uh, it just, I, just a blur. it might be this, take it with a pinch of salt, yeah. Yeah, yeah 35. And um, I was a teacher before I started playing poker, and I kind of fell into a bad accident. I always played for fun. I always played with my friends ever since I was like five. Come from a family of gamblers. Like my my dad taught me how to play poker when I was like just just tiny, five years old. I was handling a deck of cards. Um, so I played recreationally and went to university, became a teacher, and I played a satellite for the Irish Open and won the satellite, went to the Irish Open, and came fourth uh, for a hundred grand. That's okay. Um, that's okay for a recreational running heart. It's not bad. It's not but bad. Um, it was even better because the company hosting at Paddy Power, they were doing a, a last longer promotion for all the online qualifiers. And they sponsored whoever won the last longer for another hundred grand. And I was the long- longest lasting online qualifier. So you, the thing is, you beat for 200? So I got that as well. Well, 50K of the, the last longer promotion had to be spent on live tournaments. And live tournaments don't match up with the teaching holidays at all. Ugh. So I had to choose between my career that I absolutely adored and my this 50 grand tournament package uh, in, a, in the hobby that I absolutely loved. You couldn't, there's no way around it. There's no way to no. spin that 50K, just in, impossible. I don't think so. All the, all the teaching holidays happen when there's just not very much live poker. Is there, it seems. is school year round? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, you know, there's, um, I think it's 192 days of the year, uh, with holidays intermittently. But if I, all the EPTs didn't line up with the holidays, the Irish Open was the only one that lined up with the holidays. The World Series doesn't line up with the holidays. Mm. So if I wanted to realize any of this, just no way around it. So I had to pick between teaching and this 50k package. But you're brand oh, sorry, new to poker, lunch. right? Like you're you're I mean, you're brand new to like the professional poker lifestyle, right? Like that's got to be a pretty big risk um even if even with the 50k. Absolutely. So I decided to take the once in a lifetime to travel around and go back to teaching afterwards was the plan. It's a good plan. Um, yeah, teaching jobs were in pretty high demand, so I was confident I could get another job. So I was playing for a year on the sponsorship package. My girlfriend at the time, now wife, um, she supported my decision, and she was just my rock. She was just fantastic. She's a teacher as well, and she knew how much I loved the job, and she knew what the job entails. And she stood by me, and the year concluded, and I had one buy-in left. I think I took of the 50k in buy-ins, I think I got a return of like 35k. So down 15k, I guess, but for a recreational turning that 50 into 35, actually being able to put that in the bank. Yeah. It's a free roll. I mean, it's, it's a free it, roll. Yeah, right. it's a free roll. But I had one tournament left to play. Uh, it was the Irish Open again. And I went and won it for, for 265. Come on, get out of here. I know, just obscene wrong good. It gets, it gets disgustingly even better because my wife, my now wife, um, had supported me throughout the whole year. Uh, so I proposed right after I won it. I, I actually had the ring in my pocket and I was going to propose at St. Stephen's Green in Dublin, which is this lovely 
lovely park area, lots of ducks to feed. It's just really tranquil and lovely. I was going to propose there, but when I made the final table, I realized that if I did it then, if I did it um, on the cameras, then everyone at home, my parents, her parents, aunties, uncles, brothers, sisters, they could all watch it happen. Yeah, and say, save so yourself some phone calls. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. This, this happened, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and after I won it, uh, I just made a go of it. And... Tell me, wait, we got to go back. We got to dive into this a little bit because like, sure. that seems like a pretty earth shattering day, like just life changing all the yeah. things. I mean, tell all me about, about the emotions, like playing down to the final table. I mean, you have it in your mind, right? That you're going to propose. Like, yeah, I had the ring in my pocket for the for the entire final table. What if you um, busted in like second or third? I mean, it was like <laughs> you're gonna do it on camera no matter what. Well, that's what I said, and at the time I didn't really think about it because I, I was in my head. I was like, okay, if I come eighth, they'll pause play. I'll do my thing. We'll celebrate whilst watch the final table, no problem. So you told but the producers? Got... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was okay. great. Um, they were all in on it, helping me out. But if I'd come second. That would have been really fucking awkward for the, for the other guy. <laughs> you would like, have stolen everything. Stole all of his thunder. And I don't think I would have changed my plan because I was very singularly minded. This is what I'm going to do. So he would have like the greatest moment in his poker career. And I would just be like, yeah, step aside, pal. We're... <laughs> I'm stealing this show. Online on. qualifier here. Yeah. An announcement. <laughs> so th thankfully, I didn't come second. Any other position, first and third and onwards, would have been fine and not embarrassing. Uh, so yeah, um, just obscene amounts of run good back in 2012 when this happened. I, I can't fathom just the astronomical amount of run good that happened that year. I mean, that's like a fairy tale, really. Like it's uh, absolutely 100% fairy tale. It's a dream, and yeah. after you have that success over your first year, how much you know that was 2013 which I have yeah. in my notes here that 2013 was a good year for you. Just looking at like your hidden mob results. I did not yeah. realize how good of a year it was. <laughs> um, tell me about what happened after that. So you're engaged. I assume you were like, yeah, this one year teaching, taking off from teaching thing is probably going to be extended beyond one yeah. year. Did you make that decision lightly or was it just not lightly at all? And teachings yeah. teaching was like, I absolutely adored it. It was so fulfilling, so satisfying. The kids were amazing. But I loved poker, and after I got the chance to keep going with it, I thought, okay, well, I'll stick with poker, and we'll reassess every year. I'm continually reassessing my career um, based on how good poker's going, how fulfilled I feel, and yeah. What does um, that look like? Like, what is that reassessment? If you're, if you're doing it every single year, is it getting... Is the pool getting stronger to go back to teaching, or is it becoming easier? No, teaching teaching's a little bit teaching's a little bit um, struggling in England. I think uh, the, the teachers aren't being treated nearly as well as they should. I could go on a big long rant about this because my wife's obviously still a teacher. She has to work like I think a teacher has to work seventy hours to be acceptable. To, to tick all the boxes, to do everything they have to do. They have to work 70 hours a week. And um, what does the hourly rate turn out to be for that 70 hours? Like three bucks an hour? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, that's insane. Teachers, teachers starting nowadays, I think they start on like 24 grand a year when they start. I could be wrong because I'm a little bit out of touch on that regards. Um, I mean, but the wage does get pretty good by the time you get 
sort of five, 10, 15 years under your belt, but that's still, you know, a big commitment, a long time to get that. Yeah. It's so. like, uh, you know, fifth of your life, 20% after 20% of your life, then it gets okay. It gets reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Don't, don't worry here. We're just, you know, teaching and raising the future generation of children. Let's not incentivize these humans who are responsible for such a monumentally important task. Incredibly frustrating. But it's, it's kind of always, I don't know, if we're, if we're going to go on to a little bit of politics. Politics never, any politician never thinks much beyond the next four years, really. Whereas, it's incentive. They don't have yeah. the incentive to. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but if you looked at society and you think, okay, this is, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem in society. Almost all of those, in fact, all of those can be fixed by having fantastic teachers who raise fantastic kids who then go on to fix these problems. Mm -hmm. Right. So and it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. I think the society that cracks it is just going to be a society that thrives more than all of the other ones. And that's just, you know, I thought about the, we're going going to go on like a political tangent just for a moment. Uh, so cool. stay with us, listener. I've thought about the political problems across the world a ton and just thinking about like how the incentives don't line up. And like my solution to politics specifically is just to pay the politicians like an obscene amount of money. I think like 10 million a year. And I'm actually being quite serious here because like we incentivize them to change the rules for businesses so that they get money on the back end, right? So they're not yeah. us, they're working for corporations. But if you incentivize them directly by just paying them an obscene amount of money, well, it actually saves money over the long run because yeah. just all the infrastructure, all the problems, they're forced to like honor and serve their constituents, which like they just don't now. Um, so yeah, like, indeed. To me, it's just like there's massive incentive problems across the board. And like you pay a politician 40K a year, well, okay, cool. But they have power and they're going to use that power to make money on the back end. And so like, they're going to make money one way or the other. So like, why yeah. don't we just give them a lot of money in the first place so that they can actually, you know, do the shit that makes society and our lives better and solve problems. Yeah. And uh, they're just not held to account. I feel across the, across the political spectrum, across the world, they just seem to be able to get away with whatever the heck they want. They make the headlines for doing some, some horrible stuff. That would see the average Joe fired from their job, divorced from their wife, whatever. And then something else happens, and the thing that we were guilty of is just forgotten about by everyone. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's very, it's obvious to me because it's like when you, we talk about like making policy, right? Well, that just means making the rules by which we all live. Well, these people yeah. are making the rules. So when they get in trouble, yeah. obviously they've made the rules in such a way that they don't really get in trouble because like yeah. they're in charge of making the rules, which is like, they can just oh, wriggle out of it. Right. Like they have they, like uh, white collar crime and blue collar crime. Like my, my wife and I were watching a, a show where like somebody stole something like it was a McDonald's scandal. They okay. stole like $50 million uh, through the Monopoly game over the course of like 10 years or something. And wow. They use all these resources. The FBI investigates. It's this big operation. Spence, God only knows how many millions of dollars trying to crack it. And then, like, at the end, the ringleader of the whole deal gets, like, three years in white-collar <laughs> prison. And it's like, what? What? What just happened? Wow. And, like, how did I'm that happen? I'm surprised they got jail time, to be fair. Usually right. It's, it's like, oh, white-collar crime. That's actually unusual, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 
white collar yeah, crime pays. Slap on the wrist. Um, and, and the the fact of the matter is, like, who, who are the people who are most likely to commit white collar crimes? Well, probably the politicians and the lawmakers, and or the people who are heading the corporations that are funding the policymakers. And so, like, yeah, of course, the penalty is going to be lesser than like you know at least in the states you you sell weed on the side of the road and it's like yeah you go to prison forever we're just throwing away the key and you never get to leave yeah. but you still 50 million dollars like we're good um yeah we're fine as long we're as we fine. get 40, no big deal. We, we get 49.5 million of those dollars yeah fine fine no, you do what you want no big deal um so okay sold weed ah you're going to jail <laughs> yeah good night good night goodbye yeah but here's some oxy here's some oxycontin like here's some mm. here's some uh yeah Opi opioids to treat your pain that's perfectly oh. normal all right okay <laughs> anyway yeah this is an cars, easy it's cars. an easy tangent to go for me to go down because it's like we can talk about we, i feel like we could talk for hours on this we yeah should be a i guess <laughs> the listener would probably appreciate probably it yeah but so you know you have the amazing 2013 you get engaged and spoiler alert you get married too um yeah and uh, tell me what happened next A after, you know, you leave your traditional career, you embark on this new journey. What happened after that? We played a lot of cards. We played live uh, primarily for the first six years, five years, something like that. Um, and then segued more into online. So I guess I'm a little unusual in that regard. Uh, most people, it's the other way around. They played online, then segued into live. I'm the same um, as you. I started live. The same as me? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, but what is took your some, training? Took some adjusting. Learning. My, my, I'm, you're, you're a teacher, right? So, like, how yeah, did your, like, biology. progression, progression yeah, look so like was, in your poker? Uh, well, I was, I was, um, my degree was biotechnology, so science. Very evidence-based. So my progression in poker was very much um, modeled on that. So I, I like evidence. I like robust stuff to back up my ideas. And that applies really well to poker because if someone says, oh, you should check raise this sort of hand in this sort of situation, I want evidence to see that that works. And I want to gather that evidence and I want to analyze it and stuff like that. So having that sort of mindset drilled into me throughout my degree was really conducive to my poker career. Mm -hmm. And that's like, um, yeah, that that's how I live my life and how I structure yeah. all my training and all my courses. They're all built on mass data analysis of like, Let's see. You think this yeah. is good? Let's see if we can prove whether or not it's good. Um, and yeah. I think that like... And either answer is good. If we, if we find the answer that, you know, it doesn't work, great. We, we've learned. We, we do something else. That's great right. as well. And if we learn that it works, then cool. Like we found, yeah. we found a way to add a little bit of EV to our pockets. Yep, that's it. So what did that evidence-based study and growth look like over the course of, you know, five or six years? Because, you know, Despite, I assume, despite being familiar with poker, you weren't immersed in poker. And so, like, when you won the Irish Open, you probably weren't a super strong player at that time. Right? <laughs> like, that's just, I mean, maybe I'm making an assumption here, but. Oh, no, that's, that's probably fair. Um, it was funny because there was a few things going in my favor. Um, so, the Irish Open was a three and a half K buy in freeze out back then. And. The Irish are so patriotic about the Irish Open. Being able to make, being able to play it is a big deal. Making day two is a huge, you know, that's something they can they can take back to their families and say, yeah, I did this. I, I made day two. It's amazing. And the Irish Open, I had a great time. 
So the winning it, winning it is like, well, well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Massive. Um, cashing it, cashing it again is a big thing. Of fun. I'm not actually Irish, by the way. Well, <laughs> yeah, still, still massive, but not, you know, um, but my, I was playing just hyper aggressive. <laughs> The, the, like Irish hate you. Yeah, the Irish well, hate you for winning. Mixed, mixed. mixed. <laughs> they're, they're romantic too, typically. So when I proposed, I think I won a lot of them over. They like the romance. <laughs> yeah, so, that's good. You had that in your back pocket. Yeah, yeah. But being hyper-aggressive in a tournament where people didn't want to bust really worked. So my ra rangers, I didn't know what rangers were then. I was just playing very aggressive and it was working. So I kept doing it. And well, that's kind of one of the, one of the reasons it was working. And when I ran into someone who it didn't work against, I just got there. Just <laughs> filled, in, filled in the gut shots or the flush or the sets or whatever the heck it took. And that happened for four days. And that's, that's, how, that's essentially how I won it. Yeah, I mean, um, that's, I mean that's, that's how it goes, especially early on yeah. with tournament success. You just, and I yeah, think like sure. being hyper aggressive gives, gives you a chance, right? Like, especially if... Yeah. Like you're overfolding, you're able to just chip up with kind of minimal. You, real, you realize, yeah, and you realize your equity pretty much regardless. So mm -hmm. that equity is ten percent, and you run that ten percent, and think, yeah, happy days. And post Irish Open, we we moved to online a lot more because um, if you can get good at online, well, you don't have the overheads of what live travel has. You know, you don't have the, the flights, the hotels, this, that, and the other. And online suits family life. Bit better, um, <laughs> a bit, just a bit. A bit better, yeah. I get to have dinner with my wife, and then I go to work. So while she's working during the day, most nights, um, it's been it's been. We we played live, then we played online and live, and obviously this past year it's been all online. There's been no live for what eighteen months or something like that. A little longer for me because my wife was actually pregnant uh, before lockdown. We gave birth just before the COVID pandemic occurred. In fact, there was the first two COVID patients in England were like upstairs to our birthing suite. Oh wow! In the, in the yeah, in the, in the isolation thing. So that's when um, Emma was giving birth. COVID was like this little news headline, just this little thing that was just peeking under people's radar. No one really realized just how messed up it was going to get. Yeah, um, Lukic, uh, uh, one of my private students, Michael Lukic he was telling me yesterday that so he went on a trip to vegas recently and the cdc let you know remove the mask guidelines for okay. vac vaccinated people and basically at the bellagio he got there on like wednesday and was playing with the dividers and the masks and all that and by friday yeah. it was all gone like all, all the gone. it was all it was like back to just poker it was like the the wow. people at bellagio were like just waiting for the moment that the cdc says okay, do it. And then they had a protocol in place. And he's like, dude, it was like one day it was one thing. I woke up and went back and it was just all gone and all changed. Well, it changed. Mm -hmm. Wow. Are, are people still wearing masks post? Depends on post where you go. the guidelines. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I, in Atlanta, where my wife and I live forever, I didn't see anybody in public without a mask on. And okay. even today, most people do wear masks in public, even though I'm sure most of them are vaccinated. Yeah. But I we went to on a vacation to the beach in Florida over the past week, and there there was no human wearing a mask anywhere. Like okay. only like one poor, scared, eighty one year old man had a mask on, like trying to stay away from everybody. But like right. everybody else was like 
we don't care. We're not wearing masks. Okay. So I think it's like just based on the political environment that you live in um, in yeah. the United States. Okay. You're going to either wear them or not. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, the, when it comes to poker and wearing masks, I don't know about you, but every live trip I've been on, I've gotten sick afterwards. I spend a week afterwards coughing and uh, just sick from whatever's been spread around the, 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 the tournament, you know? I get sick uh, early. I'm like, you get sick early. Yeah. I get in, I'm like jet lagged. I play one session yeah. and then just boom, snap sick. And like yeah. my, my first like 48 hours are always just totally useless. <laughs> I'm just in bed yeah. in the hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I kind of think I'll wear a mask anyway for that reason to mitigate that, but we'll see. It, it, it definitely takes something away from looking at your opponent and tells and stuff like that wearing a mask. So I'm not really totally decided because I, I am booked up for the World Series for two weeks uh, come November. Well, I guess we'll just, I'll see how I'm feeling about it all. And, and we'll see what the variants are like around then, how safe we think everything is. Because at the minute the vaccines are holding against the variants, um, it seems they're still very effective against them. So fingers crossed that stays the same and the vaccines yeah. continue to, to do the good work. It's like poker, right? Just make a decision and then decide based on future data points and take it as yeah. it comes. Uh, yeah. And you got, you yeah. got what, when is the WSOP this year? Mm, I'm flying October 31st. No, okay, so no, November. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, November 4th is the main event, I believe. Oh, wow. So October, November will be the yeah. Yeah, see, I, I don't play tournaments, so <laughs> I'm like ah. totally, totally out of all the tournament information. Um, Fair but enough. Fair enough. yeah, I, I will be going to the WSOP this year just, you know, to. You're playing cash? I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I, I have to create a plan because, like, yeah. you know, I'm building a business, I'm growing my brand, and I think it's just good yeah. to get out there. And I mean, for one, mm -hmm. like, at this stage in the game, I have like a hundred and. 80 something episodes of CPG and nice. I want to meet people, you know, I, I want to yeah, get out there and network for sure. Yeah. I want to see Dara. I want to see David, you know, yes. I want to see you now and yeah. the Jason Coons and the Galfons and the jungle man's yeah. and like yeah. Matt Berkey, like all, all the, all the people that have been on the show that like, cause it, I mean, it's weird. I started my podcast and like it started getting popular right yeah. around the pandemic so i haven't been able to visit anywhere meet anybody yeah that's been, that's been one of the crushes of the pandemic is the the social aspect of it getting taken away i've got some very good friends in poker who i might have only seen five times a year before the pandemic and the pandemic's just highlighted one how much i care about those people who i might only see five five or six times a year and just how important those relationships are to me just having a, a a meal and a chat about a hand with 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 someone who I only see very infrequently, and those being taken away has been, yeah, a big deal. Yeah, it's it's, it's but at least it'll give us gratitude moving forward as we oh, experience sure. this. Yeah. Um, just going out to see a movie and have dinner with friends is like, oh yeah, maybe we we did that on shouldn't take that. We did that for the first time on Saturday. Yeah, we did that for the first time on Saturday. We saw a friend who's also had a kid. And it was just normal. <laughs> and normal was normal was magical. It was amazing. Yeah, normal uh, normal is not normal anymore. It was normal yeah. was special. Um, normal, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been luckier than most because uh, 
I, 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 I Twitch, I stream, sorry, I'm, I'm a Twitch streamer for Unibet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll get that, I'll get that plug in there. But we have an absolutely fantastic community on my Twitch channel. Uh, and then, and just the Unibet poker community in general is just the nicest community of people. So while I've missed seeing people in the real world, having this Twitch community together has really kept myself and a lot of the community happy and sane during this past year where we've been dropped to that social aspect. So Twitch has been amazing for that. Yeah, we uh, in Greatness Village, my Slack community, we have uh, every week, it's called Poker Power Hour on Wednesday nights from nice. 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, started it from 8 to 9 p.m., but then like people got overzealous and they were like, we're going to do an early one. And then I was like, yeah, go ahead, do it. But like, I'm not going to be there. And then, of course, I, I'm all, pretty much always there anyway. Okay. But yeah, but, um, yeah I, we were just talking one day and I was like, you know, even if nobody ever gained any poker knowledge here, like if nobody improved their poker game whatsoever, just having a yeah. community of people to see once a week and bullshit yeah. with and interact with yeah. like has been so worth it throughout this pandemic when yeah. we just don't really have much socialization you know yeah for sure for sure it was one, one of our biggest fears because having a daughter just as the pandemic started we were terrified that she was going to be not very good at socializing like at, at this moment when we're, we're coming out of the lockdown we were scared that you know she would be terrified of our friends because she's she's only seen a limited number of people and that's definitely been a case for a bunch of people who've had kids, that kids haven't had the chance to socialize. We've been so fortunate because we've got grandparents on both sides. My parents and Emma's parents are just the most fantastic grandparents and they've been allowed to, to help with childcare. So that's helped with her socializing. And she's also been allowed to go to nursery for a couple of days a week and that's helped with her socializing too. So she is this wonderful bundle of happy energy and everyone who gets to meet her now is just seeing this wonderful little human being who's thriving. And, uh, and I'm very grateful for that, massively grateful for that. And I know that so many people out there haven't had that during this pandemic. They haven't had support structures in place. They haven't had the, the gifts that some other people have had during this pandemic. And my heart just breaks just how bad some people have had it. Yeah, I mean, it's loneliness and mental health problems are like, yeah, the the real deal. You know, there there is yeah. uh there is a cost to locking ourselves indoors to not spread this virus, and yes, a toll sure. toll is taken on mental health, and it, it's yeah, it's probably um under considered, I think, but by by the majority of folks, especially folks that don't deal with mental health problems, like I think I yeah. think that's sort of like, you know, you break your arm, everybody sees that you have a broken arm. You're dealing yeah. with anxiety, depression, and it's internal. People can't yeah. always see that or recognize yeah. it. And that's where the disconnect or lack of empathy kind of comes into play of like, well, they look okay. So they're, they're okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to like know what someone's going through when you don't have a reference point. Like if I broke my arm, you could say, oh, that must have really hurt. Cause maybe you've broken a leg or a rib or a finger and you think, yeah, I know that hurts. That sucks. Or you just if have arms. Hurts, <laughs> but you have arms that have hurt. Yeah. You know how valuable they are. Right, exactly. Uh, when it comes to mental health, it's, yeah, if you haven't experienced it, then, yeah, it's very hard to under understand it. In a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do, one man Coach Brad Wilson. has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and 
that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash Nuffle. Rated R. Moving back to Twitch and Unibet, you know, you mentioned yeah. you're sponsored by Unibet. How did that come about? When did that come about? I'm in my fifth year with Unibet. It's just the best. I've been twitching for four and a half years now. Um, I would go to all the Unibet events because they were just fantastic. They, I mean, obviously, obviously, I kind of have to say that, but they genuinely were. I went to all of them before I was an ambassador because the staff were just friendly, bubbly, happily passionate people about poker. And they'd throw amazing events. The parties would be amazing. The tournaments would be well run by like the best um, staff in Europe. Um, so because I went to all the events, I eventually got to know the staff. And the staff wanted to launch um, a more aggressive plan in the UK. So they wanted some UK ambassadors, and they wanted to launch into Twitch and get someone onto Twitch. And so they asked, and I said, hell yes, let's do it. Uh, so yeah, they pay me to play cards. And they, they keep doing it. And uh, yeah. <laughs> no one, no one's told them that I was doing that anyway. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's worked out great. Twitch, the Twitch community, like I said, is just the friendliest and nicest community just in the world. Um, I, these little screen names I've formed relationships with them over the past five years. I've been fortunate enough to meet a bunch of them at Unibet events. Some of them don't go to events, and it's but it's a screen name that I've grown very fond of, and they're just very kind, nice people we have in our community. Uh, and they've been following, and the the best thing is that it's not just about them following my grind while I'm twitching and I'm you know, I'm playing the, the supernova on Unibet and they're saying, oh yeah, great, well done, and oh, commiserations about that river card, whatever. We're all doing that for each other. The, the, the rail is for everyone who's in chat. So there'll be people who are just playing the free rolls because that's all they, they can afford. And they'll be railing the guy who's just playing the free rolls just as hard as they're railing me who's playing a bigger tournament. And it's just the most wholesome, lovely thing. Yeah, I mean, there, there's being plugged into communities like that are just so underrated. I mean, it, yeah. if you're like a lone wolf out there just on this journey on your own, like there's so yeah. much value to be gained by just yeah. being awesome. a part of a community. Even, even if you're not like actively learning poker, just having a support system, yeah. like yeah. when it goes bad, because shit will go bad in this, in it this will game. Go bad. And I guess we haven't really talked about shit going bad, but again, shit will go bad. So I assume yep. it went bad after 2003 at some point. Could you t tell me about uh, you know, a point in your poker career where the struggle was real? Um, yeah, for sure. I think when um, I was just playing live, aside from being not very good at the time, if I ran into someone who was good and didn't have fold equity against i would run into a roadblock um yeah call fold buttons broke a, equals yeah not good for fold you. equity was important back then so that and the variance of live meant that yeah i think there was there was a couple of years where it was not going well and you know if you're playing live you, you've got to be playing pretty big to cover the expenses so any swing in that regard is pretty big so yeah i think 2000 14, 15 were pretty harsh on the bankroll, if I remember correctly. Pretty um, bleak. Do you have any fear or thoughts about going back to teaching after like two every dark, day. dark years? Every day. Every, no, every day since I, since I accepted it, I've thought about that. What, is I, it, I what does that conversation look like? Like in your head? In my head? Yeah. 
am I good enough? Is the game going to stay good for long enough? Is everyone else going to get better than me? Do I just, even if that's, even if the answers to those are no, do I just want to go back to teaching? And I'm, I'm constantly reassessing. At the moment, I, I'm loving my Twitch job, though. If I, if I wasn't Twitching, I might have gone back to it already. I've gone back to something else already. But being able to host this community is very fulfilling. Uh, and that's really keeping me in the game, by and large. That and the games I'm in, I'm doing pretty well. The finances are good right now. I've had a, a, a healthy 2020 and 2021 and 2019 even. So yeah, I think I think Twitch being what it is is what's kept me hungry for it, not just for the poker, but also for the community as well that I'm in. And what is that? How do you, as a scientific person, how do you quantify, like, am I good enough to still keep playing poker? I mean, is it just like a, a passing thought? Do you ever like dot, di dig deep as like, is this sustainable? Am I, do I really have an edge? Will I be able to maintain my edge over a long period of time? Um, or yeah. is it just like a passing fear and you're like, you just recover pretty quickly? I wouldn't say it's passing because it's something I think about a lot because the game, the landscape of the game is constantly changing. People are constantly getting better. The solvers are constantly getting better. It's going to make the game very difficult for everyone. And even then, regulations could change that could make the game unsustainable. Like, <laughs> well, not a, not just, for us in the just, States. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Any change in regulations bound to be positive where, where we're at. Yes, indeed. So yeah, I've always got it in mind that one day I might need to do something else. You know, one day I'll be wanting to to you know put the cards away and do something else. That day isn't for a while, thankfully. Uh, England's regulations around gambling—they're tightening things on gambling, and they should, in a way, that, that some regulations that have been very good. Um, fixed odds—you you know what a, fi a fixed odds betting terminal? Uh, so any any gambling machine—they were making a lot of money in the in the bookmakers um, for quite a while because there was no real max bet on them. or well, the max bet was huge. That's been regulated, and that's really good, because those things were dangerous for people with uh, mental health problems or gambling problems. They had no limit on how quickly and how much they could lose. So some regulations are very, very good. Um, and yeah, the game's alive and well at the minute, so I'm happy to keep going. But, if the land, but the, I'm always continually assessing, because the landscape does keep changing. For sure. You just have to keep seeing and keep working hard. That's the thing. You've got to keep up with everyone. Uh, you just got to keep studying. Otherwise, you fall behind. And once you fall behind, yeah. Stagnation is recession. You can't just say, okay, I'm, I'm making money now. I'm good enough. If you stagnate, that, that's recession because everyone else is going to study and overtake you. So tell me, what does study and growth look like uh, in your regular routine? Well, people, people aren't very good at studying in general. Because passive study isn't very helpful. There's lots of resources out there. If you if you go onto YouTube, you can you know find great videos regarding poker no, content. No. And you get great. What answers. about you, Ian? How do you me? Study? Yeah. What does your you, specific process look like? Well, finding leaks and building ranges myself to counter them. How do you find so, a leak? How do you find a leak? You can use something like Poker Tracker to delve in. Or you can just notice in spots in game where 
you think you're losing money. But you find something, often if you find someone making a move that's irritating you, it's because, well, you don't have the answer to it. So then you've got to construct your ranges to, to, to battle that. So if someone's three betting you too much, you need to know how, what hands to flat call with, what hands to fall bet with, what hands to fold. Now it's, it's all well and good looking that up and finding someone else's constructed ranges. That isn't, that's pretty passive. If you construct the ranges yourself, that's a lot more active. Because uh, obviously when I was a teacher, I looked into learning a lot. Um, getting the answer, it, well, it's okay. Finding the answer is a lot better. Constructing something for yourself, comparing it to other people's answers, that is where you're going to get solid learning from. You can watch a video and watch um, someone on Twitch call a three bet with seven eight suited, and then call three bets with seven eight suited yourself. That's well, not going to be quite enough because there's times when you should, times when you shouldn't. One beautiful thing about Twitch is that, well, it's really interactive. You can say, hey, Amy Stapes, you called a three bet with seven eight suited. Why'd you call a three bet with seven eight suited? And then Jamie Stavis being a fantastic streamer will say, hey, I did it because da, 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 da. And then that's how you can, that's how you get the most out of learning. That's how you get the most out of the resources is interacting with them. It's no good just watching passively. You've got to, you know, delve in there and do something with the knowledge you're, you're finding. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the issue with like plain explained videos is that there, there are yeah. a lot of, a lot of data points. I, I did a coaching session. A guy did a coaching session with me and was showing me, um, was testing out a new methodology basically on me. And we analyzed one single hand for an hour. And it was, okay. in, in his words, um, breaking apart the egg at every single node. So yeah. he asked, what, were you th what, what data points were you considering here? And it was just like a long list that I made. Um, at every single decision point. And at the end of it, there was something like a hundred different data points that I was considering. And this one hand that was played on um, zone or zoom poker, by the way. So like 15 seconds to act for every single decision. Right. Okay. And so like we have all these thoughts out on paper and then we were like, okay, so what's the what, which one must you have prioritized here in order to make the decision that you did? And, you know, when you go through an exercise like that, you learn there's a lot of things that you're thinking that don't go through the filter of verbalization. Like you just don't, mm. you can't say everything because it's too much, right? Like it's just too- 15 it, seconds, yeah. Well, yeah, and like a play and explain, even if you have a minute, like in a play and explain, you can't verbalize every single thing that you're thinking about and prioritizing in game. And so because of that disconnect, like you said, you know, somebody sees a player flat with seven, eight suited and they're like, oh, I'm just going to flat three bets with seven, eight suited but yeah. you don't see all the data points that they were looking at and prioritizing. So you're not getting the full picture as to why exactly they flatted in that specific situation with seven, eight suited, which is misleading, right? It's like, you don't want to sure. do monkey see monkey do because then, you, you know, monkey poops all over you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a, it's an interesting phenomenon because copycats, it's always been there's always been trends in poker like opening for three x the, the the bind was a thing and opening for two and a half x was a thing and opening two point two x was a thing whenever recreational see a professional do something they'll copy it mm -hmm. and it'll work okay but it'll not work fantastically because they won't be applying it rigorously well they don't so, see the so, game you know like yeah they don't see the full picture of the game they're just it's yeah. too zoomed in of like 
I'm doing this one thing zoomed in without zooming out and trying to picture like yeah. the whole game tree and everything that's in play because it's almost yeah. like a, you know, it's almost like a, a watch or a clock, right? Like you see yeah. it telling time, but if you, you know, if you zoom in, you see all the gears, all the mechanics, everything's working uh, in sequence with each other to do these yeah. amazing things. But like, it's good enough. I like that. Yeah. It's kind of the opposite of poker, I think, because like the watch, you see the big picture um, from the outside. And in poker, you, you only see the small picture. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You only but, see one individual picture throughout one hand. Right. But if you, branch. if you did zoom out, you would see all the gears turning and everything's working together and how like, you know, there's a reason why certain hands are played certain ways in a, in a live stream that I did on poker coaching. It's like a private cash game live stream. I said something that actually I had never thought about it. It just kind of like came out of my mouth. And then I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting way to think about things. I said, I think my aces want to be played this way. And the framing of that was like, almost like I, my aces are the thing that wants to be played a certain way. And that, I'm just like, the conscious thing. Yeah. Right. Like I'm the conduit that's like, oh, they want to be played in this way. And like, that's how all your hands are really like. I have this hand. It wants to be played in this way. So that's the way that I'm going to play it. Um, yeah. You're just like trying to figure out the the best way to play this hand. And like another misnomer, I think that causes lots of pain and suffering in poker is like thinking that winning a hand is like the goal when winning a hand mm. is really not the goal. It's just playing the hand in the way that it wants to be played is really yeah. the, the end goal. And sometimes a hand wants to be folded, right? Like, and we can, right. We can understand that doesn't feel like winning. It doesn't feel like winning, right? No. But like we understand, you know, well, it is. It's like people from a basic level. I think they will understand that if you just think preflop, you know, you're in a full ring. You have do seven off under the gun. It's a hand that it's a hand that wants to be folded. Right. And you know that you should fold it. But folding preflop for some reason, which I think is just like human biology, doesn't feel like a loss. But folding on the river, you've invested uh, money or your stack. Now that feels like a loss, but it's the exact same concept. Um, Some hands just want to be folded on the river in the same way that like do seven off wants to be folded under the gun. For sure. And that fold lets other hands win. Right. Is the thing. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, different hands will have different jobs. You know, sometimes the seven, eight suited will be the one that gets called on the river while the aces get folded on the river. You know, exactly. Different different hands have different jobs in this in this big cog of machine. This machines all these cogs in this machine. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it poker's like. See, that's the beauty, especially of like No Limit Texas Hold'em is, whoever came up with that cliche saying of like takes a minute to learn and a lifetime to master. I mean, it's so just on point of like. It really is. You learn it really sure. quickly, but then like once you sort of see the depth of it, you're like holy shit, you know, I'm 17 years in and more studied than 99.99% of poker players on the planet. And yet I still see all the things that I don't know and all the areas yeah. in which I can improve and learn. And it's just- Yeah, uh, for sure. I bet you don't see all of them. That's the thing. There'll be so well, many that you don't see. Right. I see, I see, <laughs> yeah. the, I see the ones that I, I need to improve. And then I have awareness mm. that beyond that, there are future ones yes. that are just unseen and-, and Waiting. Yeah, waiting just have to, to acknowledge that. Yeah, they're just waiting yeah. to waiting to be found. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I don't know where that tangent was. At least it was poker this time, though. It wasn't. <laughs> it, it was wasn't poker politics. this time. We didn't go politics. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, 
you brought a talking point up in our pre-conversation. And for the listener, uh, so this is being recorded June 2nd, 2021. So this may be a little bit dated when this episode does get released. It'll probably be released in like August or so. But um, a few days ago, Naomi Osaka withdrew from the French Open, citing mental health issues, and basically didn't want to interact with the media. And the media came down on her hard, and she basically just withdrew from the major. She's one of the top-ranked players in the world. It's caused a great firestorm. Um, Could you tell me uh, how this relates to poker and, you know, your opinion? I saw some tweets from uh, Sam Grafton and David Lappin who sort of highlighted this. So Naomi didn't want to do any media stuff, citing mental health reasons. And in my head, if someone says that, you, the, the only reaction is, I'm really sorry you're feeling that way. Don't worry about it. And maybe send them a gift basket or something like that, and then that's it. And then, you know, the next tournament, if she's feeling up for it, then great, then she can do the the... the the media stuff and whatnot. Apparently, she got fined for not wanting to do um, the media stuff. Yep, 15, now, I don't know what fifteen k. She got fined. Was it fifteen k? Mm-hmm. Now I don't know, like what she might be contractually obliged or some shit like that. That shouldn't I think, fucking matter. I think she <laughs> is. I think like basically, if the if the Grand Slam tournament wants her to do media, then basically yeah. she's obligated to do it. But they could fine her, um, but they threaten to disqualify her really that right. was that was like the crux of the issue was like they find her and then they threatened to disqualify her and she said you know what i'm not going to deal with this so she withdrew how how obscene <laughs> just i it, i was seeing these headlines just not being able to understand how someone could treat another human this way when they've said mental health and we were talking about this that some people just don't understand that mental health how crippling it can be and when it comes to, to poker, a lot of emphasis is put on pros to do the media sort of side of things. And that's great when a poker player can. Like you, yourself putting, you putting yourself out there doing this podcast, that's fantastic for poker. It's great for the game, and it's great that you do that. But not every poker player is sort of an extrovert who can do something like this. It's, they're not someone who would be comfortable being interviewed. They're not someone who would be comfortable being the life and soul at the, at the poker table. When someone's, we, we certainly see poker players getting demonized because they're sat at a poker table, sunglasses on, headphones in, hood up, and they're demonized for being bad for the game. And that's terrible. And they're, they're not doing their duty. And it's great when poker players can be life and soul at the table, when they can be funny and sociable, but just not everyone's like that. You know, not everyone is an extrovert. and. Personally, I'm, I have days where I'm very extroverted. I, I'm, I'm loud and boisterous and silly and having a laugh. But there's definitely days where I'm very introverted and I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to be interviewed. I don't want to particularly be sociable. So demonizing people for not being sociable at the table seems just, just wrong, in my opinion. I mean, it's definitely better if people are sociable at the table, right? I think it makes for a better experience and a better game. And I think it's worse when you have like, you know, a gang of hoodies and sunglasses that are just robotically 
taking 10 minutes for every decision on, on every single street and, and playing cards. And I think that's, that's definitely not good for the game. Um, but I mean, yeah, like we're not sponsored. So we're not like most poker players around the world are not sponsored pros. And so like they yeah. don't get, we, we pay our way in, we buy into a cash game with our money. And so like, really there's nothing that anybody can do. Like they can't force us to do these. For sure. They're not, like, it's they're my not money, motivated. right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. It's um, great when they are, and that's fantastic. But demanding someone being someone that they're not is a bit, well. Well, it's like, so in, in my Slack community, Greatness Village, uh, one, of my, one of my community members or villagers posted a link to a tweet and I'm just, I, I like see this everywhere now, but it's called Goodhart's Law. And it was a tweet by Sahil Bloom. I want to give him credit, um, but it was basically talking about Goodhart's Law as a mental model. And the premise is that basically when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. And some examples of this are, you know, it, the Soviet Union, Soviet Union factories, they paid the factories based on how many tax they created, right? Like that was the first target that they okay. made. So the factory created, you know, millions of tiny little bitty tax that were not useful, but because they got paid per tax, they were incentivized to make tiny little bitty tax, right? So then they yeah. were like, the government was like, okay, well, that's not good. So let's change this to have, you know, pay them by weight, right? So as soon as they pay them by weight, now they make like giant tax that are also useless, but like probably blunt, right? They're just like these yeah. <laughs> giant massive tax that you just put on a scale, and you're like, okay, here's your, your 10k yeah. for this one tax, <laughs> right? Um, and another example of this, I believe it was in India. The in India they had like a cobra problem, and I believe it had something to do with like British colonization. The Brits were like we want to incentivize to get rid of these cobras. So they offered a bounty for cobra heads. And so like that was the measurement, right? The target was the cobra heads. So what do the folks in India do? Well, of course they get their cobras and they just start breeding them and yeah. cutting, <laughs> cutting off the heads of oh. and sending them in. And then, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they, they end the program and so everybody releases the cobras they bred out into the wild, and there was more cobras oh. than than began. Um, so this like Goodhart's law. As soon as I like internalized it, and I'm like, okay, so when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. I just started seeing it everywhere. I went to the yeah. gym. I went to the gym on the treadmill, and there's this girl on the treadmill next to mine, and she's like sitting cross-legged. And I guess she felt compelled to say why she's sitting there on the treadmill. She's like, I can't get my Apple watch to sync to my phone for the treadmill. Cause I assume there's like fitness goals on her Apple watch. Right. Yeah. And she like sits okay. there for, you know, five minutes fiddling around while I'm on the treadmill and I get off the treadmill and go like start using the heavy bag. And she hopped on the treadmill for like five minutes. And I just, I knew it before I, I knew it was going to happen before it happened. It was like five minutes on the treadmill. She just leaves because she couldn't get her Apple watch synced to her phone. Couldn't so the results, right. She couldn't record the results. Right. So what's the fucking point of being on the treadmill? If I don't get the result on my Apple watch, right? The um, number on the Apple watch is just, it just, it's nothing. It's meaningless. The, your heart being healthier, your, your legs being healthier, your 
Yeah. Oh right. My gosh. So like we ignore the the negative consequences when we just try to, you know, reach that target. We optimize for the target. And I, and I think that like this comes in play as it relates to Naomi Osaka at the French Open because they have a target. We want this player to do X number of media appearances. And if she doesn't, she's going to be in trouble. And so like they overvalue the media appearances and undervalue that you have one of the very best players, the biggest draw in women's tennis in the world. And they say, no, you have to do this or we're going to disqualify you. And it's like, oh, yeah. How, how much money did you just lose by her withdrawing from the tournament? Way more than you would have gained through the media oh, obligations. And I think but that like, I, yeah. No, imagine him, like, imagine a different universe where they said, we're so sorry, you're not feeling up to doing a media interview. Don't worry about it. And then the next week, they, she, she gets a delivery and it's a nice little care package saying, feel well soon. Imagine her next media appearance and how much better that would be because she's, you know, and how much happier, how much better she would be, how much better off she would be. And imagine the, the, the future timeline where she's feeling loved and appreciated and how much more she's going to be able to pour into sport. And it's just mind boggling that that's not the route they took. Yeah. And you're right. It's this, it's this. Good um, hearts, good hearts law. Good hearts law. Yeah. And the thing is, there are solutions, I think. Like, if they just reach out to her privately and they're like, okay, yeah. well, how do we resolve this? How do we do this in a way that, like, is comfortable for both of us? Whether that be, like, a private interview that's transcripted mm -hmm. and she can edit it as she pleases or have her publicist remove, you know, any misspeak or make it more comfortable for her, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like, they yeah. could have made it easy. And that's, like, simple. That's, like, easy, no-brainer. You could hire any interviewer in the world to just do this and so that, like – you know, if that eases her anxiety about like being in front of her, because like, let's be real here. Me and you having a conversation on chasing poker greatness is much different than like you being interviewed at the WSOP in front of like a thousand people all at the same time. For it's sure. Intimate. For sure. It's more private. I don't know how well I would do getting, doing an interview with a thousand eyes on me all at once. It's just a different scenario. Um, For sure. Awesome. You know, yeah. Like I, I'm an introvert by nature myself okay but i think the thing is like folks don't realize that introverts really enjoy interaction just on the things they're passionate about and on a one-to-one yeah. -one level which like yeah so i'm perfectly suited for podcasting because like right. it's one-to-one right. -one, it's private and it's a thing that like i'm passionate about so yeah. anyway i just think that like you know if somebody doesn't want to do wsop interviews in front of everybody whatever it is, like there are alternative solutions. So like, let's think creatively and try to create some yeah. win-wins just across the board. Create an atmosphere that's good for whoever the player might be. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly, yeah. Maybe it goes back to school, you know, just not, uh, not really valuing creative thinking and just um, problem solving. And it's just like, no, things need to be done this way. You know, go, oh, let's go back to school in Goodhart's Law, right? Um, sure. What do we do? We create standardized tests for kids, right? That becomes a measurement of success. So then yeah. what happens? We optimize for them to perform well on standardized tests and undervalue yeah. all of the things that will serve them well moving forward into the future because we have these standardized tests that they're optimized for. And who really gives a flying fuck 20 years later about how they did on a standardized test in middle school? Like it does, That's not right. help, helpful to me at, at all. You know? Yeah. 
good teacher will give the kids skills that they're kind of pigeonholed into getting that test done right. And it sucks that there's a lack of better options than standardized tests and whatnot. The good teacher, though, <clears throat> will get the kids the knowledge they need for the test whilst also developing them as a person. They'll, also, they'll, they'll show them how to get information for themselves, and then they can use that skill in later life. That's the, that's the real crux of a good teacher. And I think it, it ties into poker, too, in that, like, po the poker community, by and large, has become so dogmatic as to, like, how, what is an appropriate way to learn and improve your game, where, like, hmm. I think that there are multiple ways to skin a cat, as they say, and there are multiple approaches to learning. And there's a, a course on Coursera that I highly suggest the listener in the audience check out called Learning How to Learn. And it's a really like a week long course on just how the brain works and how human beings learn. You know, there's visual, auditory, and kinesthetic learners, and people learn differently in, in different ways. They need different inputs. And just figuring out like the best way that you learn is such a valuable tool um, sure. that you just use in your life and your poker career. Cause it's like maybe maybe Pio doesn't resonate with you. Maybe it's confusing. Maybe you don't understand yeah. it. So maybe you should go about it in a different way, right? There's, there's, I mean, Pio is an incredibly powerful tool with incredibly powerful information to be harnessed. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's, it's not something that everyone can access. Um, what people, what people there's, there's a thing called Bloom's Taxonomy. Um, is sort of a teaching theory and it's about the different ways people learn and it's about um basically the crux of it is that interacting with stuff is the best way to get something out of it creating for yourself analyzing for yourself are the higher levels of learning whereas just getting in getting an answer giving to you is the lower level of learning so if you're not great at using pio but you can watch someone else use pio eh, that's something but doing something with that to get to an answer will be much better. So Pi will give you an answer on a specific hand. To learn, you look at a different hand, compare that to the, the Pi answer that the creator, the content creator on YouTube or, or whatever you signed up to has got, and apply what that to the new hand and try and create the ranges yourself. Because create creating for yourself is a really good way of learning. So if Pi gives you a range for a particular hand, create a new hand and that's kind of similar and tweak the ranges you found in Pio to the new hand yourself and then you know go from there yeah it's a greatness bomb and you're giving me lots yeah. of ideas as to like how to structure my courses too because like my courses are they're all mass data driven and so like yeah. they are they are answers i mean this is like oh yeah 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 sizing on this board versus this specific player profile and like it's going to perform the best but now yeah. Now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, hmm, like I could basically manufacture a way to where like that's interactive and the users, the users in, in, interact and, and they arrive at the right conclusions, but on their own, um, through that's the, the trick. Yeah, yeah. For sure. That's, that's, that's really awesome, man. Um, what, what's the most unexpected thing that's come from your journey playing poker? Drop that bombshell. What's the most unexpected thing to come from poker? 
It's the second actual question that I prepared. <laughs> yeah, we're doing an interview and we've had this is the second question. That's kind of cool. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think the I think probably the friendships I've made and just the diversity of those friendships. I think from high school, and I've got my my going back 10, 15, 20 years. I've got my I've got my Facebook profile and I've got my friends on my Facebook profile and they're all my high school friends and they're my friends because we think the same, you know? So it's, it's kind of like a little bit of an echo chamber. And I have well, that until I, can until I, I, can I inter okay. interject a little bit? Because I think like sure. one, one thing that, I, I mean, as I'm getting older, I, I recognize these things. Like I would say you thought the same in high school because like, we we so we change so much over time. Oh, for sure. You know, like oh, yeah, for sure. just lives, you know, they're forking the roads. You took poker. Um, and then I, I just I, I can't I don't even recognize the high school version of myself. It's almost like a different human being that changed just so drastically, you know. Massive. Um, massively. But anyway, I, I just wanted to to No, no, that's very, that's, very, that's massively valid for sure. Um that that actually appears when I'm when you're on social media, if you look at a memory from 20 years ago, you're like, who is that? Who did that thing? <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh, God, I <laughs> thought that. I thought that? Ooh, delete. <laughs> but yeah, poker opened up this massive world of people from all races, creeds, religions, uh, ages. nationalities. Ages. Um, that, and I formed friendships with people who are very different on the political spectrum who are religious while well, I'm an atheist, who are from, I don't know, Ireland while well, I'm from the UK, and finding in just the, the breadth of diversity out there in, in humans is pretty astonishing. And having that opened up to me makes, has made me a better person because it's helped me analyze my own self. And so I guess comparing to other people um, and their backgrounds and, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest change. It's is just how much I've been opened up to humanity through poker. Because poker is so diverse. You sit down at a poker table, and it can be nine different nationalities. Ten if it's ten-handed, but let's not talk about ten-handed poker. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll rant on for hours about how that's terrible. But yeah, you can you could have nine different uh, nationalities, religions, uh, lack of religion at a table. And that's beautiful, because that one thing's bringing you all together. So yeah, I think that's probably the biggest change in my life as a person, I think, from poker. It's such a gift. Like, it, it's just, poker is such a gift in that way because yeah, I, I've, I think a lot about identity and why people believe and think and act the way that they do. And, you know, why can't, why, is, why, do, why does everybody say, like, don't discuss politics or religion around friends, right? Uh, because there's controversy, there's conflict yeah. amongst amongst them, and why is why does this conflict exist, right? Like why why do you get triggered when somebody believes something different than you? And what I've yeah. come, what I've come to believe is that it's because we wrap our identity around our political affiliation, we wrap our identity around our religious affiliation, and so like if you are religious and you go to church every Sunday, you say to yourself, I am one of these people and these people are mm -hmm. a reflection of me 
And that's why you become intolerant of people who are not a reflection of you, right? You get so angry and emotional because it's almost like an attack on your identity as a human. Yeah, it's, it's challenging your own identity. Right. I mean, we, shouldn't think, we shouldn't think of it like that. It's just a different identity. And, and poker, know? yeah, it is a different identity. It, it's just, yeah. it's a part of you, but it's not all of you. Like, I, sure. I think that, like, that's a thing that, like, you know, religion or politics and government want you to believe that it is all of you because then, yeah. you know, it's, it's good for them. But poker makes it so that you have a shared identity with people across different beliefs, different political affiliations, and yeah. you see yourself as a poker player, as somebody that loves this game, and yeah. now you're not you're not as threatened by people who believe differently because you still yeah. have that that thing in common that's a reflection that point of, of commonality you love this it's game like a rock for us. Yeah. yeah exactly and that's like a just a gift that put that poker and these like games that we play very passionately as human beings give you is like you know it's a different piece of your identity and it breeds more acceptance of you know different human beings who believe different things and that's great because there are how many billion of us are there? There's, is it seven billion on the planet? Many. And, yeah. Many. Yeah. And if there was a lot more acceptance, then the world would be a lot of a happier place. So yes, poker bringing that, bringing that, the slice of this broad spectrum of humanity together to be more accepting of each other is huge. Is great. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's massive, and I, I think that like yeah, it's just it's a gift to humanity. One of the one of the many lessons and wisdom pieces of wisdom we can learn from this game that like it gets its hooks into you and just doesn't really let go all right so we'll we'll go to lightning round here and just skip all the okay. other the other silly questions um if you could wave a magic wand change one thing about poker what would it be wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker what would it be i don't know i i wonder if I wonder if um, taking away some computing power might be good for the game. Uh, if the game gets solved, I wonder how bad that would be for the game. Probably bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably yeah, maybe, not good. Maybe, yeah, so maybe, yeah, if my magic wand could, I don't know, kill computing power, you know, keep the solvers just where they are, that might be fine. Maybe even take the solvers back a few years. That might be healthiest for the game. The good news yeah. is, you know, the good news is about that is like, I see online poker trending in the wrong direction over time, especially like mm -hmm. my specialty, the cash games. And, okay. but I think live poker is like, live poker will always be a thing. Live poker will oh. always be good. And it's always an option for like high level poker players. And I, it's not going to go anywhere for, you know, at least. A long time at least a thousand years until i'm dead or we become like <laughs> cyborgs that can like access pio while we're playing <laughs> while we're playing oh jesus brain implants that'll be the that'll be the end of the live poker when the brain implant has pio in it yeah i have to imagine if we have a brain implant with like pio that hopefully we're capable of greater things than cheating at poker like hopefully we can use <laughs> yeah, that for like yeah, greater accomplishments <laughs> yeah hopefully hopefully if you could put up a billboard that every poker player has got to drive past on the way to the casino, what would your billboard say? Be kind. Forget poker. If I could get a message across to a lot of people, be kind. Be kind. Yeah, I like, uh, yeah, be kind. I Stephen Fry has a great um, 
the great quote, justice, virtue, and truth are all dwarfed um, by the power of kindness. I think that's the quote, something like that. So yeah, if, if I can get a thousand people to see a billboard, yeah, get them to be a little bit kinder. And I mean, that's probably the best answer to the billboard question out of a hundred and something guests. So well, <laughs> oh, well done, you. sir. Um, yeah, it's, uh, kindness is, yeah, it's just, it's good for humanity. It's good for everyone. Yeah. It creates connection. And like, ultimately I think we're all here on the earth for connection anyway. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you find yourself in a, in a hostile situation, pause and think in a dose of kindness, do something here. Even if you're dug in to something that yeah. you fundamentally believe to be correct, you can still be yeah. kind to another human being. And that kindness will go way farther than any sort of nagging, any sort of bashing, any sort of public attempt at shaming. Kindness is so, it's just such a powerful force. And it's something that, like, you know, you see on Twitter all the time of like, ah, I believe something. And then, boom, that person just gets smashed over the face, you know, just uh, over and over so and over depressing. and over again. I don't. I don't get this phenomena of the the bile that gets thrown over social media. I think poker it's, players ought to know better. And I, I think they ought to do better. Poker players damn well should. Because we, yeah. we play a game for a living. We understand incentives. And like if, if the goal is to shift someone's paradigm, you you don't influence them by making fun of them. You don't influence them by coming after them. You influence them through kindness, really. Through just and, acceptance and, of their beliefs, and leading by and leading by example with your own actions. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. W- what piece of wisdom would you like to share to a listener in the audience who's chasing poker greatness? Form a network of like-minded people. <clears throat> you can find them anywhere. The internet is very connected. You can. You can. Find comment sections on YouTube. You can find Twitch channels. You can find people all talking about poker. If you want to get good at poker, it's great to have people who can talk to about poker. And you can share ideas and you can analyze things together. Um, Because while it's one player behind at the table, a lot of poker is about the work done off the table. And that work, you can do it with with groups of people. And it's it's better to do it with groups of people because humans, we, we suck at finding our own mistakes, our own faults. That's, that's, a, that's a thing that the human brain kind of has a blank spot on. Um, so having someone who can help you find your own faults in the game is very powerful. So yeah, forming, forming a network of people who you can talk to about the game is pretty important. And like you said, you know, this is maybe the number one ask of people. It's like, how do I find these people? Like, I'm a lone wolf. I'm not plugged in. I'm not connected. Well, Are you taking steps to get involved, right? Like I've talked about Greatness Village many times on this podcast. You you join the Chasing Poker Greatness newsletter. The second email that you get after a pay-what-you-wish MDA course is a link to the private community. And take that step. We're not going to come to you. Like we're not going to like pick pick up everything we're doing and be like, oh, there's this person that like needs a community. So we're just going to build around you. Like you've got to take action. You have to reach out. You've got to reach out. Like if that makes you feel uncomfortable, then so be it. But you have to take the risk. Like you've got to take the step. People are not going to come to you. No, not easy at all. Some people have 
very introverted and will find that very difficult. But you know what? There are some gorgeously lovely communities out there who would be very happy to accept you into them. So, Ab absolutely. Risk it. Go for it. Take the risk. What do you got to lose? It's you, you got nothing to lose. Yeah. Yeah. What's a big goal that you have related to poker right now? Mm, just keep grinding, keep getting better, get volume in. Don't really have poker goals beyond that, beyond study and volume. That's all it is. For poker, I think. Poker isn't the, the, I mean, my biggest goal is my family now. I've just had, a, I've got a, a, a 15 month old daughter and a wife. That is the, the, the crux of my life, making that goal is the, to the best of my ability, make that successful. So poker is a big part of that because you know, I play poker for a living and I, I Twitch stream for a living. So making those, so they are making those, making poker and making the Twitch stream go well ties into my family and my family group succeeding as well. So poker, yeah, volume and study. That's all it comes down to, I think. Yeah, well said, and not going to run afoul of Goodhart's Law by making process-oriented goals of volume and study, right? Um, <laughs> okay, here, here's a Goodhart's Law in action, right? Like, sure. over the course of my poker career, I'm going to retire with the most amount of bracelets possible, the most amount of WSOP bracelets. What does that mean? It means that now you're playing in obscure events with a field of <laughs> 17 people aiming to win a bracelet, thinking that, like, that's a thing that will define yeah. your career as a poker player or a human being, right? Like, that's just yeah. Once you once you understand and hear Goodhart's law, you just see it everywhere. You see, well, you see the world differently, right? I'm so, I've never heard of it before. I've heard, I've I've seen examples, I guess, and realized that you know the the the, the co like the cobra head example you had was a really good example. Um, but yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, it would be lovely to have a bracelet, but yeah, you're right. That, that, that isn't a good goal. You can't say, I want to win 100,000 bucks this year, because the river card might disagree, right? Or, or you, you might you just go... put in exactly enough volume to win 100,000, like based on yeah. ROI, right? Like you cap, yeah. you cap yourself. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, going back to the politicians too, like Goodhart's Law is all over the place there. Because like you said, it's short-term gain, get elected. That's the goal. The goal is not yeah. to improve things. It's to get elected. So you just do yeah. all the short-term shit that enables you to get elected, which doesn't really yeah, you, progress us. Yeah, you, you tweet the, the, the pride flag this month, or you, you, know, you, you, know, you do the, the little things that'll, that'll get someone to take your name in the box, whereas you need to do something fundamental to help society. That's what politicians should be doing. Right. And here in America, you know, we we just voted to not investigate the storming of the Capitol on January 6th because one one party felt that it would hurt their chances of getting reelected down the road. And you just got to ask yourself, you know, is, is that worth it? Like, what, oh what what are we doing? Like it, this, like, what are we doing here? It, it just doesn't no matter, what, doesn't no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. The, Bad things were happening that day. That needs to be that needs to be investigated. Yeah. Do the right thing. Yeah. Have do integrity right and do the right thing. It's anyway. Um anyway. All right. So we'll wrap up and uh do you have any other projects you're working on that are near and dear to your heart? My my daughter is the biggest project. 
maybe even the only project making a happy, healthy, intelligent, sociable. That's the biggest. Uh, I mean, but that and that's going to be if if you interview me again in thirty years' time, I'll, I'll give the same answer. I guess <laughs> maybe that maybe there'll be a grandchild. I'm also also have the same project for maybe. Ah, oh, man. I- yeah. I love I love the family oriented and driven. It's just it says it speaks a lot about you. Um, oh, thank you. In this you know couple of hours that we've interacted and gotten to know each other, uh, I already respect you a ton. And thank um, you, dude. Yeah. Likewise. My pleasure. And uh, we didn't even speak about the chip race at all. We're an hour and a half in. <laughs> oh, you put it in there. You segued it in. Damn. Yeah. They, there they we got go. The, they got that plug anyway. <laughs> they got their plug. Um, they would come after me if they didn't they get really it. Would. It, yeah, it, they really would. It'll be in the intro. I'll, I'll mention <laughs> in the in the intro. Um, I'll, I'll say that like we said some very flattering things about David and Dara. So just listen to the entire thing, and <laughs> you'll, you'll get to it eventually. Nice. Um, <laughs> final question, sir. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience learn more about Ian Simpson on the World Wide Web? Oh, uh, twitch.tv slash Ian Simpson poker. Thanks. Thanks for setting me up, setting me up for a plug there. Uh, yeah, yeah um, you can, yeah, we have a, a, a lovely Twitch community. I'll be very welcome to, to stop by, say hello, make some new friends, watch some poker. We'd love to have you. Awesome, man. And it's been great, uh, having you on the show. Uh, the listener will find those links to click through to subscribe or follow Ian on Twitch. And we'll have to do this again sometime in the near future because I got I, I got so many more questions. We could probably do ten episodes, like two questions. That sounds good time. to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care, man. Take care. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.